How great is our God. God, you are welcome in this place today, Father. You are a great God, and we give you praise today. Hallelujah. The splendor. Oh, the splendor of the King. He's clothed in majesty. Let all the earth rejoice. at his voice, oh, trembles at his voice, how great is our God, sing with me, how great is our God, and all will see how great, how great.
his feet. Hallelujah, Jesus. How great you are, God. All glory and honor be to your name.
recognize that that's true. Everything you face, everything you walk through, everything that's going on, that he really is all you need. How many found that to be true in your life? And you didn't find out by someone telling you, you found out by experiencing him that he's all you need. Amen. Isn't that incredible about him, that he is all we need? Amen. I hope today that if you haven't found him to be that for you, that you will. But uh, hey, God bless you this morning. We're going to take a few minutes and greet each other. And this is also a little side note. This is a great time to grab a communion cup if you don't have one near you. Because we're going to re be receiving communion later. So you can grab a cup, make sure you have it. And let's just take a few minutes and greet each, each other. God bless you this morning. Well, again, good morning. Welcome to Praise Assembly. If you are here as a first-time guest, or maybe you're here for your second or third time, but you've never completed a Connect card... I would strongly encourage you to do that today. It will be a tremendous help to us. You get, you get to turn it in to our guest services table out there. They have a gift for you. And it would just really uh, be a, a great help to us if you would do that. We appreciate it. Ushers, as you prepare, we're going to receive this morning's tithe and offering. Uh, a little bit later on here, Pastor has a Convoy of Hope video. He's going to be talking about One Day to Feed the World. That is coming up next Sunday, just as a reminder. So let's pray, Lord Jesus. We belong to you. The whole earth belongs to you and everything in it. And I pray that you would receive these gifts, these tithes, these offerings, and worship to you. We love you and we give you honor and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.
I sing for all that you've done for me. Jesus, I sing for. Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. today and you are a part of the 41 million that have served uh, could you just raise your hand where you're at that's okay uh, in one of our branches thank you so much for your service we appreciate you hopefully you were recognized uh, a few days ago a couple days ago as we celebrated veterans day and uh, we, pre we appreciate uh, your commitment your sacrifice god bless you today and uh Pray, continue prayers of, of uh, God blessing our, our nation. So, hey, we have a few announcements today uh, to make. Um, I actually have one here um, that there is, a, uh, there is a single mom who needs help moving a small amount of furniture uh, to a new apartment today. And if you're a young man uh, that can help, and this is the request, a young man to help, to be able to help her to do that, um, please see Kim Schuler and Kim, could you raise your hand? That'd be great. Kim's right over here. Just go see her, uh, overwhelm her. Uh, I'm sure it won't take very long. If you could do that, that would be great. Uh, some of the other announcements we have uh, coming out Wednesday night, we have uh, our Finding Truth study. And so please come out to that. We're having a great time on Wednesday nights. Uh, please be a part of that. We have our holiday schedule, which is right here. You could literally take a picture of it, keep it in your phone, put it on your fridge, whatever. But the schedule for the whole month of December is here. And uh, from the third, Joy Group, Kids Musical, the Adult Christmas Party, uh, Christmas Day service, no Christmas Eve. Um, and then we've got all the way things through the new year. So that is on here. Please pay attention to those dates. Our children's workers class uh, is going to be today right after the morning service. And uh, it's uh, for those of you that need a refresher uh, because we need to update those annually. So if you need a refresher on that, please be there. And uh, new people, maybe you're a member here. You want to be involved in kids ministry at some level um, or ministry to minors here, then you need to be a part of this. So check that out. Men's breakfast is this Saturday, the 19th. And the theme is going to be true greatness. And the last one, uh, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, which is the 26th, we're going to be doing something the second year in a row, Thanksgiving Throwdown. We're going to be having it at Slim's Indoor Sports Complex in Middletown, dodgeball, soccer, basketball, volleyball. We're going to have about five churches from our, pen, uh, our, our Delaware section coming out. It's going to be a great time, so make sure your middle school and high school uh, kids, grandkids are a part of that. God bless you, and have a great morning. Is that all there is? It's a pretty busy, pretty busy calendar, really, from here into the end of the end of the uh, end of the year. And uh, by the way, um, I want to remind you again about men's breakfast. It's the last one for this year, 2022. We don't meet in December. I know the ladies meet almost every month, but we don't. We just, you know, we've got our limits here. December gets really busy, so. Guys, uh, true greatness, it's unbelievable. I wish I could say more about it, but I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, it has to be a spoiler alert, let you know. It's really a great topic. If you have children home, dads, this is for you. You need to be there. Hey, next week is, as you already heard, One Day to Feed the World, and it's when we take that big offering for a Convoy of Hope to help them in their ministry. Uh, we've got a special guest coming this year, Gary Hansen. You will thoroughly enjoy him as he represents Convoy. 
and has served them for, for quite some time now. Um, but before I go any further with that, let's go ahead and show today's video as a reminder. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. When you choose to give through Convoy of Hope, together we are accomplishing the mission of Matthew 25. Your gift teaches and encourages good stewardship while fueling the fire of generosity in the DNA of your church. Convoy of Hope has been a trusted partner of the church for many years, working alongside the church and local communities to bring lasting practical and spiritual impact. There are children who will eat tomorrow because your ministry gave through one day to feed the world. Yeah, what a great partnership. I'm so glad that we've been partnering with them for, I mean, years, uh, 10, 20 years. They've been in existence about 27 years. And so again, next week, our, our goal is to give one day's salary to Convoy of Hope. So next week, we'll have that special offering. For this morning, listen, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. And um, we're finally going to bring this study in Ephesians to an end. It's been going on for months. Um, but before we begin looking at the actual verses for today, I want to share with you two axioms uh, that kind of lead into this study. Two axioms that came to my mind, at least. And the first one that deals with this chapter we're going to look at um, is very simple. It's, it's, it's just, I think we've all heard it before. I know I've used it before. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. It's good to know something in advance. It's good to know that something's coming. And boy, I just think about Convoy, uh, you know, before the latest hurricane, which wasn't as big as it could have been, it came through Florida and uh, dumped rain on us on Friday. Um, before that happened, Convoy was, they were forewarned, and forearmed. They have, they have a war room that's incredible. I mean, they know more about the weather, probably than the weather we, well, without a doubt, the weather we get to see on television. And they had trucks on the move getting set up in specific locations in Florida, ready to move in as soon as that hurricane passed through. That's how they do things. To be forewarned, there's value in that, is to be forearmed. You're ready. And the second axiom is, is very simple, and we've all heard this one too. There is, there is none so blind as those who will not see. And so as we read these verses in a moment, I want you to be mindful of these two axioms, these two uh, colloquial phrases. We want, because it's, we're going to be dealing with being prepared for spiritual battle this morning. And um, we have to acknowledge that there is a prince of this world and that he has a strategy and that he's orchestrating events. Now, he is not sovereign. He is not almighty God. But he's very busy. And he has legions who follow him and obey him. And it even pours into not just, not just those angelic creatures, the demonic creatures. But it also flows into humanity as well. And so we need to, we need to be aware of his presence, his involvement. And we also need to realize that we need to have our eyes open. Amen. So we're going to begin in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, Paul says, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in chains. 
Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. And Lord, that this is meant to warn us about what's going on around us so that we can be ready, so we can be ready for battle and ultimately to, to receive the victory that you have for us. And Lord, I pray that you'd open the eyes of our heart today. Help us to see. Help us to see what you are actually saying to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, you know, over the past couple months, we've been in the book of Ephesians, as I mentioned. And among other things, Paul's message, when we began even at chapter 1, Paul's message was that we were to become as servants or slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was his first word to us. Then he said that we are to live our lives in a manner which is worthy of our calling. That was another message I had shared with you out of the following chapter. And then finally, just a couple weeks ago, uh, Paul reminds us that we are to be imitators of God in every area of life. And that is a high calling. That is a, that is a real challenge to be imitators of God. It almost sounds like something that would be completely unattainable. And at least it is in the flesh. In our own human ability, we don't often look like God, at least the God that we believe in. But we are still called to strive to look like him and to behave like him. He's our father. There, 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 is some, there should be some familial resemblance. We should look like our heavenly father. Those are the themes that we've covered so far. And then today, Paul begins this last chapter, this final portion of his letter to the Ephesians with these words. We read them in verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And, and that's, I mean, I think we all understand what that means. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty. But, I, but, you know, I had to look to the original language when this was first written down in New Testament Greek language. And I want to read to you a more literal translation. Um, and, and I want you to get, get rid of that word finally, okay? Because what Paul really said, what he really wrote was this. He said, from now on, from now on. And you can kind of see where that could get translated in some English versions as finally. But he says, from now on, meaning for the future, for the future, from here on out, my brothers, be powerful. And, you know, this same passage Our guest last week, Bob Menzies, had also shared on this same portion of Scripture. And he talked about where it says powerful. It's a Greek word dunamis from which we get the Greek word for dynamite. Be powerful in the Lord and in the force of his strength. And I I like the way it translates from the Greek to the English that I gave you. From now on, instead of finally. Instead of finally, because you see, the idea that Paul's presenting here in this chapter is not meant to express a conclusion. Finally, it's like, okay, we're wrapping things up. No, from now on, it's not a, it's not, it's not a conclusion, it's a commencement. It's actually a beginning, it's a moving forward. And from, so Paul says, from now on, be powerful. In light of everything that he wrote to the Ephesians, from now on, be powerful, not in your own strength, but in, in the forcefulness of his strength, and be fully clothed with the implements of battle so that you may stand unscathed against the methodia. The Greek word there is methodia, which means strategies of the devil. The version I read, New International Version, said schemes, the strategies like military strategies of the enemy. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and the prince of this dark world and spiritual malice in high places. So Paul's charge is very simple. From now on, we are to exercise our power and strength in Christ, realizing that our contest is not just flesh and blood, but against Satan himself. And notice we need to be able to see through the veil of what appears to be purely human and fleshly conflict. We need to see through what look like temporal problems and realize that we need to be able to discern that at times Satan is actually involved in that given situation. You know, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters, and I don't know how many of you have ever read it, but it's, it's interesting reading. And the, by the way, it's, it's easy to read, just little chapters. You just keep, these are just little letters from a, from a senior demon to his nephew demon, okay? But C.S. Lewis, in, in, that, in that book, Screwtape Letters, states that there are two equally harmful extremes 
concerning how Christians think about Satan's involvement in daily affairs. He says, one error is to imagine that Satan does not exist and that he's not engaging us at all. That's, that is a, a, a severe error. And then he says, the other is to become so overly infatuated with the idea of satanic activity that we see a demon in every closet and around every corner. And you see, both views are out of balance, of course. And so it's wrong for us to deny his existence, and it's also wrong to, it's improper for us to blame Satan for our own folly. You know, some of the problems that we go through, we bring on ourselves, amen? I mean, really, let's take, let's take ownership. You can't blame the devil for something that you did yourself, somewhere that you messed up on your own. And we wind up giving him more credit than he deserves. But you see, the truth is that although many of our conflicts are rooted in human nature, some of them may begin with human personality, there are times when Satan does come to provoke and he'll instigate conflict. You know, remember that he is a deceiver. He's a liar. He's the father of all lies. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's a thief and a murderer. Jesus said that in John chapter 14. And so it's imperative for us to acknowledge that some conflict is satanic in origin. Absolutely. And we're going to be at a disadvantage unless and until we open our spiritual eyes. But in any case, we can at least assume that the flesh plays a part. And Satan will use the seeds of carnal selfishness and his desire for harvest of destruction in our lives. Listen, listen to Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8. Listen to this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please the flesh from that nature will reap destruction. You see, if we plant seeds in the flesh, and, and they can be all, I mean, all kinds of seeds that, can, that, that, that the human nature, the carnal nature can can plant. Go There's going to be a harvest someday. I mean, I'm reading scripture. They're, they're sinless, specifically, that Paul has in his epistles. And I'm just grabbing some out of there. Um, seeds of discord. Seeds of jealousy. There can be seeds of selfish ambition. There can be envy. And there's so many others. Just carnal seeds that we plant. Satan will then nourish those seeds and he'll plant a harvest of destruction for our lives. Just as we can plant good seed, amen? And God will bless that good seed and bring about a future harvest. There's always a harvest. There's always a harvest. And what's important is what kind of seeds we're planting. Now, look into Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. And we didn't cover this when we were in Ephesians chapter 4. It says very simply, do not give the devil a foothold. The King James Version says it this way, neither give place to the devil. Neither give place to the devil. It uses the word place, a very interesting word. The Greek word that's used here is topos, from which we get the English word topography, the lay of the land. And it means literally physical place. We could also translate that word as ground or place or real estate. Don't give him any real estate. And so we need to be careful that we do not, while in the flesh, give the devil any ground in our lives. And just think about real estate for a moment, whether it be by deed. We don't want to give him any deed in our life. It also could be an easement. You don't even want to give him an easement or right of way. Give no ground, the Bible says. Give no ground. Give no place. Not even a toehold. To the enemy. Don't give him an, don't give him an inch of property. From the tiniest strip, if you give him any at all, he will then scheme on how to move deeper into our lives and into our situation. And so you see, it all begins with just a little piece of ground. And that's why Paul gives that warning. And when I try to conceptualize this in my mind, I think of the D-Day invasion. You know, here we are just Friday was Veterans Day. But the D-Day invasion of France against the Nazis. I think of how the final days of World War II in Europe became reality because the Allies had established a beachhead. Our victory over enemy began by invading and then holding on to just a narrow strip of sand. It was a tremendous cost. 
But it had to have that little strip of ground. That's all it needed, just that little strip of ground. And then from there, our allied forces advanced towards all-out victory. You see how it works? I mean, that worked for good. But it can also work the other way when the enemy is strategizing. So give up no ground. Ephesians 4.27, give up no ground to the devil. Do not even give him a beachhead. Do not give him a foothold. Now, let's go back to the sixth chapter for a moment. For, this is Ephesians. And there are four undeniable realities. Um, from these ten verses, there are four inescapable truths. Number one, and it, it was right in, right in that, that tenth verse, we have power. We have power. And he also reminds us that we have an enemy. We're not fighting flesh and blood, but powers and principalities, evil. There is an enemy. We have power. We have an enemy. There is a battle. There is a battle and there will be multiple battles in our lifetimes. We, we will forever stand victorious though. That's the beauty. In the end, we stand victorious. And what truly amazes me and yet troubles me about our American mindset today and the inroads that have been made in our culture over the years, there's a pervasive philosophy that appeals to the carnal nature today that is both unbiblical and extremely dangerous, and it is this. And I, I hear it in the popular news media. It's very casual, the way it's thrown out. I hear it through political discourse. There are even, there are even false churches. I'm thinking of the church that I came out of 40-something years ago after, as I got saved. Um, and, and, and it's a false belief. It's a false doctrine. And it is that man is basically good. That's not true. We were conceived in sin. David wrote it in the Psalms. We know about original sin. We know about the fall of Adam and Eve. When they turned against God, they rebelled against God. Man is not basically good. And yet that prevails. Everyone's always hoping that somehow over time that man will become so much smarter and more sophisticated and that we will actually choose to do good things on our own. And that eventually goodness will prevail over those who choose to do evil. And to harm others. But I think as we all know. Nothing's changed over the centuries or millennia has it. Nothing's changed. It's all the same. And we, and we hear this in regards to conflicts around the world. You know the, the suggestion is constantly resounding. That if we would pull out. And just leave those people alone in their own crisis. Then they'll at least leave us alone. You know, why get involved in that? Why, why are we over there? Why are we doing this? I mean, militarily, I mean, and, and politically, you know, there's this terrible naivete that wants to believe that evil is somehow a minimal force, that evil is somehow benign. It's not. And I see that philosophy concerning temporal and physical conflicts, and it's a lie. It's a lie. We need to acknowledge that Satan has, a, as I said before, a legion. He's got a, legions of humanity. Historically, we see this. It's recorded in Scripture. We see it in human history where Satan has always had these, these legions of humanity who are willingly following him, following his agenda, his ideology of death and destruction. You know that's his only game. Jesus, Jesus said, he said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's it. That's all he knows to do. Jesus said, but I've come to give life and life abundant. And this is the way it's been from the first family on this earth. I mean, don't forget that almost from the very beginning, Cain killed his own brother. So don't tell me how wonderful man is, that man is basically good. No, man is basically evil. And we'll read some passages in a moment that will reinforce that. You know, we need police forces to keep evil people constrained here domestically. How can anyone ever suggest that man is basically good? You see, there's a humanistic belief that the easiest way, and it goes hand in hand with this, the easiest way to peace with any enemy is through compromise. And that's a lie. For there to be lasting peace... There has to be conquest. And the same is true in the spiritual realm. That's why Jesus came to this earth. That's why he died on a cross. Jesus came here to this sinful place to conquer death by submitting to death, even death on the cross. Listen to this, 1 John 3.8. It says, the reason the Son of God appeared 
or arrived was to destroy the devil's work. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, meaning Jesus, shared in the humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. There is, there is no compromise. He came to destroy the enemy. He came to defeat the enemy. And then finally, listen to this. Colossians 2.13 says, When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. Having canceled the written code with his regulations that was against us, stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And I love this. I love this verse. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, the very ones we just read about in Ephesians, having disarmed the powers and authorities... He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Can you imagine? Jesus Christ crushed the enemy by dying. The resurrection is not even mentioned there. But you add the power of the resurrection to what he did on the cross. And I love the idea that he humiliated Satan and his legions. I'm just, I, I'm, it's unbelievable. No one had ever done that before. It never will have to be done again. And according to the word of God, as I read it, the war has already been won. Which means, of course, that there's never any grounds for you or I. There's never any merit for us desiring a truce with the enemy. Hello, there's no need for us to compromise with him. We don't have to bargain with him. We do not have to negotiate with him. We simply have to stand in the knowledge that we have received victory through our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's it. And by the way, again, I want, I, I want you to know that mankind, as I said, is basically evil. Let me give you a few scripture references. I promised these to you a moment ago. Psalm 14, 2 says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who might seek God. All have turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. That God said that. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Heart of man. Romans 7, 18, I know that nothing good lives in me, Paul says. And he's, and he's talking as a, redeemed, he's, he, as a redeemed person. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I don't carry it out. And, of course, he said more and more about that. But, but, you know, again, knowing all this, let's understand that there's always going to be a battle. The war has been won. But there are going to be skirmishes. There's going to be a battle. And so we need to rise up as a church, as individuals, and put on the full armor of God and march right into battle. I mean, let, let's not be like so many other groups out there who seem to, I think, made, a, made an agreement with Satan. An agreement that basically says, you don't mess with us, we won't mess with you. Okay? We won't talk about you. We won't draw attention to you. And you don't come into our lives. The problem with that, that's not enough to keep him uninvolved. Because he likes to mess with Christians. And there's some Christians, I think they actually try to practice that strategy. If I ignore him, it won't happen. And here's the problem with that. Satan is a liar. Any agreement you make with him, he's not going to keep. So even, even, even those who consider a truce are eventually going to lose the battle if they persist in that delusion. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. There's no need for compromise. Why, why would I negotiate? You've already lost. Why would I negotiate with you? Why, why would I? You know, it, it's over. Romans 8.37 says that we are more than conquerors in Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. We are more than conquerors. Let me show you something. It's Ephesians 1, verse 18. I love this passage. I've read it a million times in this church. Ephesians 1, 18. Paul says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule. Again, the, the authorities and the powers that we talked about in Ephesians 6. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given. 
And not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Please understand what this is telling us. Satan is legally under your feet. Now he's defeated. He's not yet destroyed. That happens with the second coming of our Savior. But right now, legally, he's under your feet. And if you need a visual for this, the one that comes to my mind is, is, is young David pinning Goliath to the ground. The stone has already hit its mark. He's out. David draws Goliath's huge sword and detaches his head from his body. That's how I see that. All things under his feet. I see, I see us with our, our foot pressing down on the enemy. It's an excellent example. And you know what it reminds me? You, you, again, you remember the size disparity, discrepancy or you know, the difference between, you know what I'm trying to say. The difference between Goliath and David. Young David, I don't know, what was he? I'm thinking, I'm, I always imagine like five feet, you know, just a little guy. And Goliath. I don't care how big Satan looks to you at any moment of bleakness. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how big he is. Doesn't matter how powerful he might want to convince you he is. Because you see, we don't go into battle in our own strength. If you do, you might lose or you will lose. But rather we read so often, especially in the Old Testament, the battle is the Lord's. The battle is God's. And he never lets us down. All things are under the feet of Christ and we are the body of Christ. Therefore, all things are under our feet. Again, I want to remind you of those really un four undeniable realities of Ephesians chapter 6. We have power. As Paul said, from now on, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Secondly, we have an enemy. That's not going away. That's not going away. Not until heaven. And although the war has been won, there are still battles. That was number three. There's, there's going to be a battle. And then fourthly, we will forever stand victorious. And the, the proof of that comes from Scripture, but also just from the Christian life. I mean, you know, again, I, I believe that you believe that we have power. I believe that you're aware that there's evil in this world. I mean, it's not hard to, to do so. But I think the struggle is that, you know, we, we want to think that the Christian life shouldn't have any battles because the war has been won. See, a lot of Christians tend to equate victory with peace. Okay? You win a battle and you think there's going to be this long period of prolonged peace. And it's really never true. Because usually following victory in a battle, because of the enemy that we have, there's going to be another battle. You, you did receive victory. There's going to be another battle. And conversely, you know what? There's never a victory without a battle. Okay, I, I, I'm, I guess I'm thankful in a sense that, you know, our God doesn't give out participation medals. You know, just you showed up and you're... No, he actually proclaims us as being more than conquerors. We actually are victorious. You know, the Bible tells us that the devil himself roams the earth looking for whom he may devour. 1 Peter 5.8. Now, I don't mean to seem bleak today, but this, this is reality. In the book of Job, God inquires as to Satan's whereabouts, and, and he responds with this. Oh, I've been roaming throughout the earth going back and forth in it. So our enemy, the devil, is always looking for conflict. So don't think for a moment that just because all things are under your feet that you're going to live problem-free lives. That's what I'm saying. That's what, I, I believe that's what the Word is saying. In fact, Jesus said it this way. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And we're part of his body. So, so the, see, see, look at the balance. Trouble is part of our reality. But so is victory. So is victory. We all, we all know pretty well that... Uh, what trouble looks like, but how do you define victory? And that's where I think we sometimes get confused. You know, take, I mean, maybe you know someone, and I, I know we've had people here who have suffered through a debilitating lifelong ailment or a lifelong disability, you know, maybe an illness 
that even proved to be terminal. And the trouble in that case is obvious. You know, I mean, in this world, you will have trouble. Yeah, you're living through it. You understand trouble. But even if that trouble should persist to the point of death, and there's no physical earthly healing, no physical healing, there's still victory for the believer, isn't there? Listen, listen, to, listen to God's word. Matthew 24, 13 says, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Revelation 2, 11, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. And 1 Corinthians 15, 54, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. And here's that saying, death has been swallowed up in victory. In other words, even when we die, physically die, we still have victory. Amen? The victory is never stolen from us because of our faith in Christ. It's eternal. So let's go back to the battle for a moment, okay? It can be hard to assess progress when you're in the middle of the battle. When we're going through a conflict, we might find ourselves waning in our faith. We might feel overwhelmed at times. And usually that's when you want to talk to somebody and you want to cry out to somebody and please pray for me. And, and you know, I mean, you're just woe is me even. But every battle, every struggle, every conflict and con contest is unique and challenging without a doubt. But the remedy is always the same. And it's spelled out here right in this sixth chapter, verse 14. We need to put on the full armor of God. And I know you've heard, you've heard this preached and taught before. And it, and it sounds so cliche, but I, I really just want to walk you through each piece very quickly. Because you don't have to go in depth, really, real in depth on this. But we need to put on the whole armor of God. Okay, number one, we need to realize that the belt of truth, the importance of the belt of truth, is that it is our defense against the father of all lies. Satan is a liar. And he's going to tell you, you're losing you're going to die. The sickness isn't over. He's going to, I mean, your finances are going to just, you know, just, he'll keep picking. We put on the belt of truth because truth is what we need to combat lies. Secondly, the breastplate of righteousness. Why do we need that? Well, that is our defense against the accuser of the brethren. Revelation 12, 11 says that he, he accuses the brethren all day long, accusing them, sometimes falsely, sometimes justly. But God sees us as righteous because his blood has cleansed us. We don't make ourselves righteous. God declares us righteous. So we put on the breastplate of righteousness for protection. Thirdly, we have the sandals of the gospel of peace. That is our protection against spiritual bondage. Fourth is the shield of faith. That's probably one of the ones out of all these we easily remember the shield of faith. It's our defense against fear and doubt. And he will supply that faith so that we don't have to wallow in doubt and where is God and when is he going to do something. And then the fifth is the helmet of salvation is our defense against every false argument and pretension that would oppose God. How does the enemy, how does the enemy want to get us to doubt God? How does he want us to fear? He works right here. He works right here. And we need to have that helmet protecting our minds as well as our hearts from all the false arguments, all the lies of the enemy. And then, of course, we have the sword of the spirit. And that's the word of God. And it's always been described to me, and I'll tell you today, that it's an offensive weapon. Everything else that, that, that you put on is, is meant to protect you. But here we have something that, that's offensive. It's, we can advance with it. In every area of conflict, Jesus used it after his days of, 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 of fasting, 40 days in the wilderness, and he's tempted by the enemy. And Satan would come in with, with Scripture, twisted Scripture, and, and suggest, and then Jesus would come against it with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He would rightly handle the Word of God. And the enemy says, in the end, the enemy left. The Bible says that the Word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword. It is living and active, penetrating even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, Hebrews 4.12. And then with all this... Ephesians 6 wraps up with verse 18, urges us to pray with all kinds of prayer and all kinds of requests. And so here's the message of Ephesians 6. 
We're called to battle. We're called to victory. We have an enemy, but we also have power. So Ephesians 6.10, once again, from now on, from this day forward, be powerful, Paul said. Choose to be powerful in the Lord and in the force of his strength. No matter what you might be going through, he's bigger, he's greater, and all things are under your feet. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for the word of God today, this offensive weapon, the sword of the spirit, that it, it in itself is truth, indisputable truth. And Lord, I pray right now that you would cleanse us from all the lies of the enemy. We, we're bombarded by lies all the time. Some are meaningless. Some are from family members. Some are from coworkers, schoolmates. Some are just out in society, in our culture. And we're not to believe any of them. You are to be the only source of truth. And Lord, I thank you for your truth today. I thank you for your word today that yes, there are battles, but you've given us the victory. Yes, we have an enemy, but you've given us incredible power. And Lord, we, we realize today that we're never fully aware of the power we have until we have to use it. But it's always there. It's ready. Because you will not leave us. You will not forsake us. And that's truth. That's your word. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. That is God's word. Again, that's truth. And so we don't have to succumb to the lies of the enemy. Lord, I thank you for your power. And I thank you for this challenge today. As Paul had told the Ephesians. From now on. From this day forward. We're to be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power. Father, I pray God the, your blessing on your word. In Jesus name. Amen. Apostle Paul, by unction of the Holy Spirit, wrote those words. He said, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for sending your son into this world, Lord, to destroy the works of the enemy. Lord, to set the captive free. Lord, to bring victory and to make us more than conquerors. And we thank you for this remembrance, this time of remembrance right now. To be reminded of all that you did for us. And we pray now, Lord, that you'd make us worthy. It is by your righteousness. It's not our own. Lord, we're not worthy. We're not worthy to partake, but you have made us so. And we thank you for your cleansing power in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake together of the loaf. In that same passage, the apostle wrote, he said, In the same way after supper, he took the cup. 
saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this cup that we hold in our hands, that it is the cup of a new covenant. It's based on your sacrifice. Lord, you made a way where there was no way. And you've now made a way for the forgiveness of all of our sin. You've made a way for us to enter into heaven and to live with you forever. And we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Again, Lord, I pray that you would cleanse us of all sin right now. Forgive us, Lord, we pray. Make us worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake of the cup together. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Lord God, we just thank you for your presence in this place. That we have, we've heard your word, Lord. We've sensed your Holy Spirit. And we've been reminded now of your great gift to us. Lord, I pray that you'd be blessed. That we would be, as we've studied through Ephesians, that we'd be imitators of God. That we'd live a life worthy of the calling that you put in our lives. Lord, that we would be willing to live as slaves and servants of the Most High God. Use us for your purpose and your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Lord, I pray your blessing on your sheep, Lord. I pray your blessing on your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.